y'all so much. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I, uh, I love Soul City Church, and you just have to understand, uh, from my experience, this is uh, kind of a surreal deal, because I can remember when Jarrett and Jeannie uh, first told me that they felt like God had a plan for them to leave Atlanta, and they were working with me, to go and plant a church back home in Chicago. I said, we feel like that's God's plan for our life right now, and I said, well, Jeff Henderson has a plan for your life, and it's not to move to Chicago at all. So fortunately, God won out, and uh, I just have to tell you, um, your leadership um, through Jarrett and Jeannie, uh, you already know this, but you are incredibly blessed as a church to have them. I love them so much. Um, I admire Jarrett so much. I, in fact, I tried to dress like him tonight, as you can see. <laughs> but I just can't rock the white shoes like he can, all right? I just can't. I can't go there. I'm too old. But um, I, love, I love Jarrett, and I love Jeannie. She and I work together at another church that I, uh, we help plant in the Atlanta area. And uh, these days... When you've you, you got three services, and we've had a great morning already, uh, these are going to be the days that you look back and you go, remember the good old days? You're, you're in the good old days right now, so don't forget that. When, when, you're, when you have 27 services all over the city of Chicago, these are going to be the good old days. And I, I want to let you know as well, if, you, if this is your first time here, you're surrounded by some of the most amazing people who figured out this, that it's not, it's not great people that serve an ordinary God. It's an ordinary people who serve a great and glorious God, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that um, tonight. I do have to point out, though, I've been here since Friday, and um, the Cubs won two games in a row, people, while I've been here. <laughs> Coincidence? I, I, I think not. I think, uh, but I haven't heard, did they win today? I'm telling you, people, come on now, that's three days I've been here, and that's three W's for the Cubs, all right? Maybe next year I come back for a whole month, maybe, <laughs> maybe in April. So uh, anyways, but I, I'm thrilled to be here. I love this church, and uh, hopefully uh, we can chat a little bit after uh, we're done here tonight. But uh, to begin our series and to begin our time together tonight, um, I want to share a quick story with you that I think will, will set up where we need to go tonight and set up this series. And um, that has to do with a story that happened a few years ago, just a few years ago, when I was in the fifth grade. When I was in the fifth grade... My parents took my two brothers and I to Washington, D.C. You know, you kind of did the obligatory trip to Washington, D.C. You probably did that when you were in the fifth grade or so. So we went to the fifth, uh, up to Washington, D.C. when I was in the fifth grade. And one of the things we did is we did a tour of the White House. We kind of did this little tour of the White House, which is pretty cool. So I'm walking down the hallway. I'm in the fifth grade, and here I am in the White House. And I'm walking down the hall, and we walk past a White House security guy. He's got his, you know, uh, earpiece thing and his walkie-talkie. And as I walk by him, he says, hey, Jeff. Thanks for, thanks for coming to the White House. And I stopped. And I thought, how do you know my name? How do you know my name? I mean, I knew I was popular in the fifth grade at Cornelia Elementary School in Northeast Georgia. I mean, everybody knew that, okay? But how does the security guy know who I am in the White House? And so I was just standing there looking at him. I look back at my mom and dad, and they're kind of laughing, chuckling a little bit. And, and my dad says, come on, son, let's go. And I start to leave, and the White House security guy goes, Thanks for coming, Jeff. Come back anytime. It's good to see you. And I thought, he said it again. How does he know my name? And as I left the White House that day, I thought, you know what? I better get some shades because the future is bright for this kid, okay? Because <laughs> the people in the White House know my name. That's crazy. Now, this day, that moment, that story has kind of taken a little bit of a legendary uh, status with my two brothers and my sister and my parents. Uh, in fact, so much so that my mom actually kept what I was wearing that day, and this might explain why 
the uh, White House security guy knew who I was. And this is actually, I actually brought it with me today. This is what I wore to the White House, by the way. By the way, who wears a blue jean jacket to the White House? I, I can't figure that out, but it was the 70s, people. So anyway, but this is what I was wearing that day uh, at the White House, might explain uh, some things right here. So um, I had no clue how this guy knew my name. I mean, absolutely not a clue. So as you can tell, I wasn't the sharpest fifth grader that you'd ever want to meet. Now, here's why I bring this up. When, when, when people say your name, right, when Deanna and Laura, when people say your name, it's like, oh, people know, you, you know my name. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? But have you ever felt, have you ever experienced when somebody's forgotten your name? Like, hey, buddy, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, pal, what's up, you know? Um, that doesn't feel good either, right? There's something about our name that has labeled us. There's something about our name that has defined us, and we carry that label, whether you wear a jean jacket or not. You carry that into your relationships, into the workplace, into the home, into the dorm room, wherever you go. That, that kind of defines you. But that's not the only thing that has defined you. There's some other things that have defined you throughout the years that, that you carry into your relationships, and I want to talk a little bit about that because that's going to lead us to what I want to talk about tonight. For example, um, there are some other things that have labeled us, all right? Uh, there, are some, there are some comments that people have made to you throughout the years, and these comments have stuck. Some of them positive comments, some of them negative comments. In fact, for some of us in the building tonight, there's a comment that somebody made to you in high school. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a negative comment, and that comment stuck to you, didn't it? And you carry that comment, that negative comment that has shaped you, that has defined you, that you can still hear and experience exactly where you were when they said that. And you carry that into your relationships. And the people in your life, they, may not, they might not even know the story about that comment, but it's affected them because it affects the relationship because it affects you. We carry these comments into our lives, and it affects us. There's some other things that affect us. Um, it's, it's not all bad. There's some, some things that you've experienced in life, such as success. There's a successful business, or a successful relationship, or a successful completion of an educational requirement. I mean, we all have success, and that kind of defines us to a certain extent. But likewise, there's something else that defines us, and that also, that other thing that kind of defines us and labels us from time to time is failure. And we carry maybe a failed marriage or a failed relationship or a failed business, and that defines us, and it carries us in, that carries in, and we carry that into our relationship. And there's something else that these are just kind of common everyday, what I call common everyday experiences, right? Just common everyday experiences that we carry into our relationships. <laughs> For example, a few weeks ago, I was driving to work in my used car, and I pulled up, got out, and I looked, and there was a lime green Maserati next to me. And you know what the first thought I thought? I am such a loser. I am so super uncool because I will never be able to afford a lime green Maserati. My pro- even if I could afford it, probably wouldn't go with lime green, just honestly, just being honest with you. But I'll never be able to afford that. And I thought, I'm so super uncool. And I, that, that comment stuck to me that day. And that's been a few weeks ago, and here I am still talking about it. So there's experiences, there's comments, there's success, and there's failures. But if you take all those things, particularly the negative things that we've experienced, particularly the negative comments, the the negative experiences in life, if you congeal them all together, there's one thing I want to talk about. There's one word that I want to talk about, and it affects you to a certain level. And as a result, since it affects you, it affects the people who are on the other side of you. And and here's what I want to talk about. Here's where we're going to begin our series uh, dealing with this particular word, this particular label that we kind of carry around with us 
uh, in our lives, and it's this word, insecurity. Insecurity. You see, for all of us, to a certain extent, we have certain insecurities that we cover and carry into our lives, all right? And the truth about you and me is this. This is where we're going to go for a few minutes tonight. Everyone, all of us have insecurities. Everyone has insecurities. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that you're an insecure person. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we all have pockets of insecurities. And what happens is, is you know what it's like to be on the other side of an insecure person. And what happens is, is it's pretty exhausting, isn't it? It's pretty frustrating. It's pretty tiring to be on the other side of an insecure person. Isn't that true? In fact, you, you, you know that when you're on the other side of an insecure person, it's kind of like you're walking on eggshells because you're not quite sure if what you say will trigger their insecurities because when it triggers their insecurities, suddenly you have conflict on your hands or you have a misunderstanding on your hands. You know what it's like to be on the other side of an insecure person. That's why the insecure boss is very difficult to follow. The insecure spouse is very difficult to love. And the insecure friend is very difficult to help. You've been there, haven't you? You've been on the other side of a person who has insecurities. And the reason you've been there is because we all have insecurities. Every one of us has insecurities. Now, you know what this is? This isn't a church thing, okay? We haven't even opened the Bible yet. This isn't a Bible thing. This isn't a church thing. You know what this is? This is marketing 101. It's marketing 101. In fact, before I started doing the church deal, I spent a number of years in, in, in marketing and advertising, got a marketing degree, and the first thing they teach you in Marketing 101 is, hey, if you forget everything, if you forget everything this semester, please don't forget this in Marketing 101. Everyone has insecurities. Now, why do they teach you that? They teach you that because of the proposed solution that our society proposes as, re- as it relates to this truth. Everyone has insecurities, and here's the proposal. Self-esteem is the cure for your insecurity. Self-esteem is the cure for your insecurity. And just so you know, again, this isn't a church thing. This isn't a Bible thing quite yet. This is just marketing 101. Just so you know, this pretty much sums up one class at the Harvard Business School every year. This is what they teach. And here's why this is important as it relates to marketing and business. If I can take my product and position it as a solution to your insecurity to boost your self-esteem, then you win, and I win because you bought my widget. That's how this works. That's marketing 101. And if you don't believe me, here's what I would encourage you to go do tonight. I would encourage you to go home, tune on the TV, and before, and instead of fast-forwarding through the commercials, I would just ask you to watch the commercials. And more often than not, not every commercial, but more often than not, here's what you're going to see play out. They're going to say, there's, they're going to build off your insecurities and they're going to propose that their product will build your self-esteem because self-esteem is the cure to your insecurities. So if we can boost your self-esteem, it'll solve your insecurities. And gazillions of dollars in our country are spent toward this. In fact, to prove it, I want to show you one of my favorite TV commercials. This is a brilliant TV spot. It, was, it ran during the Super Bowl just a few years ago. I love this spot. I think it's brilliant. But as you watch this spot, here's what you're going to hear play out. Everyone has insecurities. And if we can handle this and boost self-esteem, it's the cure for your insecurity. This is the message the world sends you and me. It's a cool spot. Watch this. I saw you laughing 
this world makes you crazy and you've taken all you can bear you call me up because you know i'll be there Wasn't that awesome? I love that. I love the music. I love the script. I love everything about it. And the only thing that can make that commercial any better is if this were true. Because Soul City Church, ladies and gentlemen, this isn't true. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that self-esteem's wrong. I'm not saying it's sinful. I'm not saying it's immoral. I have two young kids, a 13-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. I want them to grow up and have a healthy self-esteem. My point is this. Self-esteem's not the cure for insecurity. And the reason I say that is, you know what self-esteem is like? Self-esteem is like a five-hour energy drink. Just give it enough time, and slowly but surely, that insecurity's going to slink back home. Because what self-esteem tries to do is to deal with the outside of you and me, and the whole time that deep-seated insecurity is deeply within you and me. Self-esteem is not the cure for insecurity, and I can prove it. For example, you ever watch the Barbara Walters show? You ever watch the Barbara Walters show? You know, she interviews all the rich and beautiful and successful people. You ever watch that? And halfway through the interview of all the rich, beautiful, successful people, what happens? They start crying, exactly right. And they begin to talk about how insecure they are. And every time I watch that, I think, no, no, hold on, time out. I know why I'm insecure, okay? I got plenty of reasons for that. But you're handsome, you're beautiful, you got five Academy Awards, you won the Super Bowl. I mean, you've got all of that. I don't understand. You've got so much self-esteem. How in the world could you possibly be insecure? Because you've got all the self-esteem in the world. And the reason is, is because this isn't the cure. Because insecurity is deep within us, and self-esteem can't touch it. Ladies, let me give you an example. Um, Beth Moore is a very popular speaker, and uh, she has a ministry to the wives of professional athletes. And she said, I read recently where she said, these are some of the most drop-dead gorgeous women that you would ever want to meet. And tragically, they're some of the most insecure people that I've ever met. And you would think, no, 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 you're drop-dead gorgeous. That should wipe out all the insecurities. And Beth Moore said, well, that's not how... This works. Self-esteem is not the cure to insecurity. Now, guys, this just isn't a, a lady, an issue for the ladies. Um, a few months ago, I was watching a, a documentary on one of my favorite athletes of all time, Herschel Walker. Now, if you're not from Georgia, you might not know who Herschel Walker is, but if you're from Georgia, you better know who Herschel Walker is, okay? It's like you better know who he is more than who the governor is, okay? And, and let me tell you about Herschel Walker. Uh, I think we got a picture of Herschel on the screen here in a second. Herschel uh, played for the University of Georgia, won the Heisman Trophy, led Georgia to the national championship, go dogs. Then he went on to play the USFL, the NFL, after a very successful pro football career, launched a business. It, by the way, prospered to be a multi-million dollar business. And then at the age of 50 said, hmm, I know, Maybe since I've done everything this world has to offer, I'll become a professional martial arts fighter at the age of 50, and he's undefeated. And have you seen Herschel Walker? That's him. He's 53 years old, 7% body fat. Thank you very much. 
I hadn't had 7% body fat even when I was born, okay? I mean, it's, I don't have a, it's not even close to that. So here's Herschel Walker. He's done everything this world could possibly offer, and here he is. He looks like he's 21. And in this ESPN documentary near the end of it, Herschel Walker, who's done almost everything a guy would want to do, play football, run a business, beat people up at the age of 50. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> he said this near the end of the documentary. He said, the deep-seated insecurities that formed in me as a little boy have followed me all into my adult life, and they've impacted my relationships. (laughs) You can't possibly be insecure. You're Herschel Walker. And the reason we're so baffled by that is because we've fallen for this hook, line, and sinker. And please, again, understand, I'm not saying this is Wrong, sinful, immoral, and making the point it doesn't work. And here's what's at stake for you if we don't figure this out. And here's what's at stake for the people who are on the other side of you if you don't figure this out. See, when you can't figure this out, it creates an unstable climate in your relationships. And it's very exhausting to be on the other side of you and me when people are trying to deal with us and our insecurities crop out and come out and pop out of us. It's very difficult to be on the other side of an insecure person. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to discover the cure for this. In essence, what we're going to do is we're going to have a fill-in-the-blank here. And there's going to be a gift that your Heavenly Father has given you that if you'll receive it, and that gift is a word that's going to go here. And in essence, what we're going to do over here is we're going to put a new label here. And this is going to be a gift. And this is a new label that you can carry into your lives, into your relationships, and wear into your lives that will create stability in you. And as it creates stability in you, and that insecurity begins to be dealt with, it's going to flow to the people in your life. It's going to help your relationships. It's going to help you once we figure out what the cure to this is. So how we're going to do that tonight is we're going to open up the Bible very briefly, and we're going to look at a book called Philippians. And you've got a Bible here, and uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love for you to um, take it now. It's going to be in the book of Philippians. I think it's 891. I think that's the page. 819. 819. 819. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. Um, I don't get to say this a lot, but as a board member of Soul City Church, that is our gift to you. That just feels good for me to be able to say that. So take the Bible. That's a free gift. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses, and then we're going to lead into chapter 4. In the middle of chapter 4, there's going to be a verse that we're going to lean into tonight. And we're going to um, kind of dissect this verse, if you will, and that verse is going to lead us to the cure. So Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And this was a book that uh, a man by the name of the Apostle Paul was inspired to write. And this is what he said, God said through Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul begins, and we'll begin with this. Paul says, we who serve God by his spirit who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, Paul's saying, hey, for those of us who've understood the gift of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, we've understood that there's a lot of labels that people could give us in this world, but we've discovered that there's something different that God has given us that overrides all other labels, and we don't put confidence in any other labels that this world can give us. We boast in Christ, and he goes on to describe this. He goes, (laughs) verse 4, I love this. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And what Paul is saying is, hey, just so you know, I've got some labels I could put on my jean jacket and carry into my daily life, and it's pretty impressive. 
And what he's about to say to us might not mean a whole lot to us in our day and context, but what he's about to say would sound something like this to us in our day and context. He would say, hey, remember when I won the Academy Award? Remember when I led Georgia to the national championship? Remember when you pulled next to my lime green Maserati? Remember when I had 7% body fat? All of these great things. And he says, here's some things that I could put on my label. And this is what he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. And when he said that, they said, you're from the tribe of Benjamin? That's amazing. And then he goes on. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I've got label after label after label. I got it going on. But Paul begins to describe that there was something missing in me. And now that I see the gift that God has given me, now that I see the label that I've been identified by through Christ, there's no comparison. This is how he says it. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, your translation might say rubbish, that I might gain Christ. And Paul says, I got a new label. And when I compare the label that I've been given in comparison to the labels the world has given me, good and bad, there's no comparison. And then he does something interesting. He continues on in chapter 3. He writes chapter 4. And then in the middle of chapter 4, he writes one of the most landmark verses in all of the scriptures. In fact, thanks to Tim Tebow, this is the second most Googled Bible verse in all of the Bible. There's John 3.16, which is number one, and there's a verse in Philippians 4 that's number two, and you probably know it. Philippians 4.13, this is what it says. It says, I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, when I was in high school, I loved this verse. I played basketball, and I would write this verse on a piece of paper and put it in my socks and play basketball. Because I love the first five words of this verse. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can't dunk, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And so I love this verse. But as I've gotten older and hopefully a little bit more spiritually mature than that, I've realized that it's not the first half of this verse that defines the second half. It's the second half of this verse that defines the first half. Particularly two words in the second half of this verse. And it's the phrase, through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. There's something powerful about those two words. Because what Paul is trying to get us to see tonight is how God sees you is through Christ. And when you begin to see you as God sees you through Christ, everything changes. You see, if I were to ask you tonight, what do you think God thinks about you right now? As you look back over the last seven days, what do you think God thinks? When God thinks of you, what do you think he thinks about? You know, one of the famous quotes about God is about man and as it relates to our relationship to God is the most important thing a man or woman thinks about is what they think about when they think about God. I think that's a good statement. But maybe the second most important thing somebody thinks about is what do you think God thinks about you? Not an improved version of you. Not 15 years from now when you got everything, you know, under control. I'm talking about what do you think about when you think about God thinking about you? What do you think God thinks about? 
when he thinks about you. And you know what? My experience as a pastor is 99.9% of the time, it's negative. That's why this verse is so important. It's a game changer. It's a life changer. (laughs) It's an eternity changer. Because what would you think if I were to tell you that through Christ, God sees you? And when you see and understand what God wants to do through Christ, and when you understand the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus, what would you think if I were to tell you that when God looks at you, he sees you as redeemed and forgiven and unconditionally accepted? That sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? That's why this whole city called Chicago needs more churches like Soul City Church. Because there's millions of people in this city right now, and there's millions of people in my city right now, who think that this world has something better to offer than Jesus. And they're trading out and making a terrible trade. Because they don't realize that God looks down upon them and isn't against them that through Christ they've been unconditionally accepted. And the reason that's so important is because of this. Acceptance, acceptance, acceptance is the cure to insecurity. And what we begin to understand when we understand that what through Christ means, we begin to understand that we have been given a different label. And that different label is that we are accepted. That God looks at you through Christ and says, there she is, there's my daughter. There he is, there's my son. And through Christ, he and she, they're accepted by me. And here's why that's so important as it relates to insecurity. At the heart of insecurity, at the heart of insecurity is the fear of rejection. That anytime you're insecure, what you're feeling is you're feeling that the other person on the other side of you is going to reject you. It might be a boss. It might be a parent. It might be somebody you're dating. It might be your spouse. It might be someone else. But when you feel that rejection, when you feel that insecurity, what you're feeling is the fear of rejection. That's why self-esteem isn't the cure. Because self-esteem can't deal with that fear. But what can deal with that fear and what can deal with the fear of rejection is acceptance. And this is why acceptance is the cure for insecurity. So let me ask you. This world may have rejected you. There may be a boss or a company or an ex-spouse that may have rejected you. But did you know that tonight you can put your pillow, your head on your pillow and say, you know what? This world might reject me, but at the end of the day, the most important person, if you will, in the universe looks down upon me and says, but I've accepted you. You are unconditionally accepted. And you know what that does to you and me if we begin to understand this? It begins to bring peace to our soul. And when there's peace in our soul, and we begin to just bask and breathe in that acceptance, that acceptance flows from us to the other people around us. And it transforms not only us, but it transforms our relationship. That's why I said there's something at stake, not just for you, but for the people in your life. So what do you think God thinks about when God thinks about you? And if it's not this, then I want to invite you into the grace of Jesus because that's what we're dealing with. 
I'm not inviting you, and we're not inviting you into a religion here at Soul City Church where we be good people. We're inviting you into a relationship. Broken people in desperate need of a Savior who says, I'll accept you. The world may reject you, but I'll accept you. And when you see you as God sees you, <laughs> everything changes. Now, we want, we, want, we want you to get this. We want you to understand this. This is foundational to what we believe as a church, okay? So what I want to do in our remaining minutes, I want to share with you kind of how this works, and, and I want to pick on you a little bit, okay? But um, before I pick on you, I thought it would be only fair if I, uh, if I pick on me, okay? I want, I want to share with you how, I, how this verse has come to kind of play out this truth in my life, and then I'm going to pick on me, and then I'm going to turn the tables and pick on you. Then I have a gift for you, and then we'll be done. Um, as a pastor back in Atlanta, um, our church is called North Point Church, and um, it's a pretty big church. It's, you know, five churches around the Atlanta area, and our pastor is in church world kind of famous. Uh, his name's Andy Stanley, and, and he's a great boss, great leader, great communicator, and he's just amazing. And uh, when Andy doesn't speak, often I'm the guy that fills in for him. And I know that when I stand up on Sunday and I walk up the steps at North Point, it's a video campus and it goes all over the place, I know people are thinking, Andy's not here today? We've got to listen to this guy? Well, it's dark. You know, maybe, we'll, uh, maybe we'll sneak out and go to Chick-fil-A you know, for lunch or something. And then, but good news is Jesus Chicken's closed on Sundays. Thank you very much. All right? So, so, um, but I'm not whining or complaining. I'm just you know, sharing a story with you. Um, so a couple of years ago, one of the, uh, leading up to one of the Sundays I was going to fill in for Andy, I started to feel physically sick. I mean, really, really sick. So I went to the doctor and said, I don't know, I'm just, here's how I'm feeling. And so the doctor checked me out and he came back and he said, uh, there's nothing wrong with you. You're perfectly healthy. To which I responded, have you, have you, did you go to middle, medical school? Because I'm feeling really, really bad here. And so I went home and I told Wendy and then, um, so we surrounded, I got together with some advisors that, um, that worked with me and. Um, they said, we think you need to go see a counselor. Um, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a guy. I'm not going to go see a counselor. Come on. And uh, so Wendy, my wife, said, you need to go see a counselor. So I went to a counselor. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I'm at the counselor. I'm at the counselor's office. And uh, I'm thinking, why am I here, you know? And uh, so the counselor asked this question right off the bat, which I thought was a great question. She said, why, when you step off the platform when you speak, what do you want to have happened? And I thought, well, that's, that's a good question. I said, well, you know, I mean, it's a Sunday. People could be doing all kinds of things, so I, I want this to be helpful to them. I want them to walk away and think, well, that wasn't a waste of time, or when's Andy coming back, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I want them to think, I want them to think oh, that was helpful. Um, but I said, you know, the, probably the most important thing is when I sit down, I want God to look down and go, that was, that was a good job. You did good. I, I accept that. That's, that, was, that was worthy. I mean, that was good. And so the counselor looked at me, and she said, well, Jeff, you, you realize you're already accepted by God, right? I mean, you realize that, right? And, and you realize that through Christ, you've been accepted, and that acceptance gives you the strength to do what God's called you to do, which is to stand up every now and then and speak when Andy's not there. You, you realize that that's what God's called you to do, and that, that through Christ, you're already accepted. That's Philippians 14, 13. You, you know that, right, Pastor? <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's right. You know what, that's been two years ago. And I have some friends uh, that are brought up from Atlanta with me, uh, Michael and Stuart. And Stuart was asking me last night, do you still feel that? And I said, you know, I, I get nervous, but it's not that. It's, that's been kind of released from me. 
because I've understood that God's already accepted me and that acceptance through Christ gives me the strength to do whatever it is he's called me to do, that's true for you as well. Now, I picked on me. Let, me, let me pick on you. Ladies, ladies, you know what breaks my heart as a pastor? Is I hear so many stories, and maybe this is just an Atlanta thing, okay? But I hear so many stories in Atlanta of how women are depriving their bodies of nutrition in order to live up to some physical definition of beauty that some guy or this society has determined that this is what beauty is supposed to look like. And it bothers me, not only as a pastor, but it bothers me as the father of a teenage daughter now who goes to the grocery store and in the checkout aisle sees the computer-enhanced images of the supermodels and the, this, this is how this world defines beauty. And I hear stories about how women are depriving their, their, their bodies of nutrition in order to live up to that kind of standard. And I'm not saying we shouldn't exercise. I'm not saying we shouldn't eat right. I'm just saying there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And here's the question I mean, and the question I want you to wrestle with, and the question is this. Ladies, whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? And when I hear stories of women who are harming themselves physically in order to live up to some guy's definition of beauty, when the whole time their Heavenly Father says, by the way, I created you and I don't create junk. You have to understand that you've already been accepted. And if, that, if there's a guy in this world that doesn't love you the way you look and for who you are, he's not worth your time. And if he doesn't like that, he can email me at jeff.henderson <laughs> at gwinnettchurch.org. Your heavenly Father created you. He loves you and accepts you. Don't you dare harm yourself to live up to someone else's standard of beauty. Guys, this just isn't an issue for the ladies, though. Guys, whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? You know where this plays out for most men? Not all, but from, from, I, would, I would, should say many men. This plays out in their calendar. And for guys that are workaholics, this is the question I ask them. It's not, hey, can we get your schedule? Can we talk about time management? Can we talk about being better managers of our time? I don't, that, we can, but that's not the issue. More often than not, it's this issue Whose acceptance are you trying to achieve? You're probably trying to achieve a comment, trying to, to prove yourself to your dad, prove yourself to the boss that fired you a few years ago. Isn't it funny how we try to live up to someone who's no longer in our lives? They haven't thought about you and me in quite a while, okay? I hate to break that news to us, but they haven't thought about us, yet we're still trying to prove something to them. The whole time your heavenly father says, hey, why don't you pay attention to me? And through Christ, you've been accepted. And if you'll see you as I see you, then you won't have to live up to that. And it'll change everything. We've got to get this right. So here's what we're going to do tonight. Um, on your way out, we're going to give you a gift. And to some, to some extent, it's, uh, it's not much. But on the other hand, it's probably everything. We're going to give you this Bible verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want you to put it in your pocket or your billfold or your wallet. And whenever you feel that insecurity bubbling up this week, I want you to pull this out. And I particularly want you to see these words through Christ. And I simply want you to lean into this and see you as God sees you.
That's what I'm asking you to do. Simply receive this this week. And to give you a word picture, I want to close with this story. Um, as Jarrett mentioned, if, um, I was in marketing for a while before I started doing this. And um, my, one of my first jobs was I worked in the promotions department for the Atlanta Braves in their marketing and promotions department. And uh, this was back in 1991. And in 1991, something stunning happened for the Braves. They actually made the playoffs. Um, I grew up an Atlanta Braves fan. They never made the playoffs with the exception of one year in 1982, okay? And then, if that wasn't stunning enough, they made it to the World Series. And for us Atlanta natives like me, I mean, we were looking at the book of Revelation thinking, we think Jesus is coming back, man. I mean, it's like Revelation 3, the Braves made the World Series and look up, okay? That's kind of how we were thinking. So, um, so I worked for the Braves at the time, and uh, so Major League Baseball kind of swoops in, and they say, hey, okay, here's the deal. We're going to do these pregame and postgame parties that you're responsible for. We're going to put them around the stadium, and they invite all their sponsors and all their, you know, people and officials from other teams. And they said, you're going to be responsible for that. And the number one rule is, if they don't have a credential, they don't get into the party. There's security reasons, there's other reasons, but if they don't have a credential, they don't get into the party. Got it. So it's the first game of the World Series, 1991, Atlanta Braves versus the Minnesota Twins, one of the greatest World Series of all time. And so we're there. It's a pregame party. Things are going well until I get a call on my radio. It's one of our staff members. And they said, Jeff, can you come over here? So I walk over there. He meets me halfway, and he says, okay, here's the deal. We've got a guy here that doesn't have a credential. I was like, okay. He doesn't get into the party. That's what Major League Baseball said. You know that, right? He said, yeah. He goes, but his name is Teddy Turner. Like, Teddy Turner, Teddy Turner. I think he, he might be related to somebody. Teddy Turner was the son of Ted Turner. Ted Turner, who owned the Braves at the time, who owned the Atlanta Hawks at the time, who started CNN, by the way. And in Atlanta, it's like Herschel Walker and Ted Turner, okay? If, if you don't know who those two are, you're evicted from the state of Georgia. That's kind of how, how this works, Okay. So uh, we've got Teddy Turner here. He doesn't have a credential. And so my coworker slaps me on the back and says, good luck with this one, and he walks off. All right? So here I am. So I go up to Teddy Turner, and I said, hey, Teddy, my name's Jeff. I work here for the Braves. <laughs> work here, kind of for your dad to some extent. And uh, here's the deal. I can't let you in if you don't have a credential because that's kind of the deal. Major League Baseball is pretty adamant about that. He was so gracious. He said, hey, it's not a big deal. It's my fault. I left the credential at home. I'll just stand outside. And when the game gets close, I'll just go on into the stadium. It's not a big deal. So I said, thank you very much. And I stood at the entrance, and he stood out there outside the stadium. About two minutes later, guess who arrives on the scene? Ted Turner. And Ted's got his entourage, you know, and he's, you know, all these people around him. And he's, Ted's like larger than life, you know, especially in Atlanta. And so he walks up, and he's about to enter the party, and he looks over, and he sees Teddy. He's like, Teddy, what are you doing? Come over here. So Teddy walks over, and he goes, let's go into the party. And he goes, well, Dad, they, they won't let me into the party because I don't have my credential. And so here I am, and there they are. And I'm thinking, this is the moment I'm going to go into the ministry, right, right here. <laughs> this, this, this is it, okay? I thought it might be years later, but nope, this is it. This is a short-lived business career right there. So I'll never forget this. Ted puts his arm around his son, Teddy. He said, that's all right. Teddy, I'll be your credential. And they walk into the party. And I might not be the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not the dumbest guy in the world. Ted Turner is the perfect credential 
for me. Now, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that your heavenly father is in the middle of planning the greatest party the universe has ever seen. And if you've ever been to a really, 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 really great party, you need to multiply that by a gazillion and you'll probably get a glimpse of the party that your heavenly father is planning. And you know what Jesus has done for many of us in the building and what Jesus wants to do for all of us in the building? Here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to put his arm around you and say, hey, why don't you let me be your credential to get you into the party my father is planning? Because through me, you have been accepted. That's your invitation. It's not try harder. It's not be better. It's through Jesus. Just let him transform you. And I'm going to tell you this. When you understand that Jesus loves you just the way you are right now, it'll flat mess you up for good forever. but you've got to receive it. So tonight to close, we're going to receive that. I'm going to invite the band on up, and we're gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate communion together. And communion is symbolic of the body of Jesus being broken and his blood being shed for you and me so that through Christ we can experience this grace and forgiveness. And we want to invite you to come forward in just a little bit, to take the bread, to dip it into the juice, And just to say thank you that through Jesus I've been accepted and redeemed. And we want to invite you into this. In fact, we're so passionate about this. We even have a gluten-free option for communion. I mean, come on, people. Come on. Is that not amazing? It's over to my right, your left. But the point is this. This is an incredible gift from your Heavenly Father. The gift of His Son, Jesus. And then after our communion, um, we're going to spend some time worshiping. And then we'll spend some time together just hanging out in the lobby. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for you. (laughs) Thank you for your cross. Thank you for the empty tomb. Thank you for the fact that you want to be our credential. And uh, how cool it's going to be that um, there's going to be a party that goes on for eternity. An unbelievably outrageous, fun party. And you got us into that party. The party of eternity, the party of heaven, the party of the kingdom of God. And so tonight is kind of a way to get ahead of that and to think about what that's going to be like. We're going to celebrate communion. And this bread represents your body and this juice represents your blood. And it represents what you've done. And as we take this, we're just going to pour out and worship to you after this to say thank you. That through you, we've been accepted, we've been redeemed. We love you and thank you for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.